you know, I've walked into brands that are hemorrhaging. They're losing employees, they're losing business, and they have certain expectations. I walked into brands that are doing well, but their expectations are like 300% growth, but they only want to invest in like 10% of their time, money, and energy. I'm like, wow, that's like talking to your CPA, telling them you make, you know, 50,000 a year and expecting to retire on an island that costs 5 million. Welcome to Making It to Market, the podcast where we discuss everything about taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I'm your host, Dahlia Collada. Well, we're back again with Jonathan Fisher, chairman of Brand Extract. Last time we talked about marketing touch points, attempting to sell an ugly baby, rebranding, and buyer personas. Today, we're back again to talk about brand erosion how marketing supports sales, and some insight into investing into your brand's advertising and marketing program. Let's get into it. Welcome back, Jonathan. Happy to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Before we get started, I've been meaning to ask you, what are some of the nonprofits that you're involved in? Uh, yeah, I've worked with a number of nonprofits over the years. Um, I sort of subscribe by the philosophy, if you teach someone to fish, you know, rather than give them a fish, they can feed the village and their family and themselves. So I'm attracted to nonprofits that have sort of geometric returns involved with them. Um, they can be, you know, literacy and education because you can break the life cycles of, you know, somebody's ability to get a job or not get a job, to, you know, travel, uh, to communicate, to earn a living, you know, so that one act has a very large compounding act around it um i've worked with uh over the last i guess you know last decade to help start a nonprofit called the houston community tool bank um they're an affiliate uh from tool bank usa and essentially what it is is is, it's a giant warehouse full of tools uh hammer saws ladders you name it anything that you would use to perform a project and the philosophy is simply that rather than the thousands of, of nonprofits in the city try to maintain their own little tools for their own jobs. They can come to this one place if you're volunteering and get all the tools oh. they would ever need. It's like, it's like walking into Home Depot so cool. and, <laughs> and you need a thousand shovels. We got a thousand shovels. Why should you buy a thousand shovels once uh-huh. and waste your money? And then how are you going to store them? How are you going to maintain them? How are you going to repair them? How are you going to insure them? How do you know if you got the right shovel, right? So uh, the whole concept behind the Houston Community Tool Bank is that nonprofits shouldn't have to stock this inventory and waste their money and their resources on it. They can do the thing that they do best. And when they need a pump, a ladder, you name it, lawnmowers, chainsaws, power drills for themselves or for their volunteers, they can come and it's a lending library. Wow. Check it in, check it out. That is so interesting. You know? Wow. And so essentially, you know, rather than everybody buy a thousand hammers once for themselves, yeah. I have a thousand hammers they can use a thousand times to whoever a thousand companies want to mm. use it with or a thousand volunteers. Oh my use gosh, it I love that. So we literally have a warehouse with like, I lost count. I want to say it's over 50,000 items in it <laughs> that you can come and borrow if you're a volunteer and doing community good for wow, a nonprofit that's so amazing. and the nonprofit will check it out. Uh, and so any nonprofits that are out there, any corporations that are doing this as a service, that is so interesting. it's a big deal. They want to be part of it um, wow. and they want to come and get involved with the tool bank. Um, I helped found it with a lot of other dedicated individuals in this town and a lot of businesses that raised money to stock the inventory and buy the inventory and be part of the, the franchise. Oh, was such a good cause. And they service pretty much, you know, disasters too. Um, they work with the first responders. Uh, that are out there, that people that go in after hurricanes. Wow, Jonathan, that is so wonderful. I love hearing you getting out into the community and helping out like that. Well, thanks for being back on the show again. Um, Let's get started. So let's talk about how do brands become eroded? Well, over-promising and under-delivering, obviously, I think it's one of the first places people make a mistake. They're a little too confident, you know, better to under-promise and over-deliver. <laughs> Everybody's delighted and surprised. They got more for their dollar than they expected or more service or more delivery than they expected. 
to the degree you can do it within reason and not put yourself out of business, that's a good strategy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're giving away 200%, your margins are negative, you're in trouble um, for yeah. that. So, you know, ways that, that people you know, will often make mistake is um, not looking at the entire process. They try to cut corners. Uh, they will take a complicated process that worked in one market, assume it works in the other market, and it doesn't. Mm. And and so you know we use the analogy of selling cakes versus cupcakes. You know sometimes the buyer just wants a cupcake, but you're trying to sell them a cake. Or you have a process that is <laughs> nine layers, and and they just need a bite. Um, so be be cautious of that. I've seen companies that take something that works well in one place and try to replicate it in another place, but then they don't realize the differences, mm -hmm. um, cultural differences political differences, geographical differences, you know, um, in the South, for example, it's really not a unionized construction space, mm -hmm. but in the North it is. And so the value propositions are different. If you're, a, if you're a, a, say a builder or developer, industrial, commercial, residential, whatever it might be sometimes, um, and you go into those union markets, that's a whole nother world. Mm -hmm. So if you go in with the exact set of messages, the exact set of processes and thinking, you're probably not going to be as successful. I appreciate you saying that, especially from the cultural thing. I, I worked at Halliburton for a little bit and I, you know, my background's in marketing and advertising, but they wouldn't allow me in that position to produce any materials because they wanted to control the message at the corporate level. The marketing team did. And uh, we were putting out an ad. It was for drilling and completion fluids. And we were putting out an ad in the Middle East. And the ad team came back with, a, a person the, the persona that didn't match the middle east first of all mm -hmm. and the message that they used on there was something you know i you know we love something and i can tell you being middle eastern myself you don't say those words you don't say love you don't that's a very right. american westernized language so i mean just when you're saying that it reminds me of that experience i had yeah, so you know, concepts—the concepts of reliability in the U.S. mean one thing, very different than, say, Asian certain Asian countries, where they might be associated more with counterfeit. Mm. You know, um, green or environmentally friendly in one part of the world might be associated, you know, as a positive, protection and all that good stuff we would think of, but in another part of the world, it might be associated with red tape. It might be associated with price mm. um, hassles. Um, so this goes back to getting those personas right, understanding the cultural differences. It's not just about translation. It's about adaptation. Mm. And the the best marketers and, and companies that are out there understand that, and they will adapt accordingly into those markets appropriately for what they're doing. Um, if you just literally translate something, mm -hmm. you often run into trouble. Well, and it's um, insulting, too. It can be very insulting, it, especially absolutely. if you don't get the right you choosing a different ethnicity and saying it's middle eastern completely different and then you're it's just like there's no it to me it's a disrespectful thing to put out something that doesn't match the persona or if you're trying to tell me that this person's middle eastern when i know they're not you know like how do i trust that brand if they don't figure out who i am if they don't try well, to they're understand not being me. authentic right they're not mm -hmm. being authentic to to, to to who they are and mm -hmm. to you and the customer from your back to their reality versus your reality back to that perspective and and understanding you know what matters to that that market that buyer that geography whatever it might be you know um you know i can talk about all i all everything i know in texas and pretend like i do exactly the same thing in dc or, mm. or tennessee or wherever it might be but the reality is the temperature's different. <laughs> the environment's different. Yeah. Um, the, the raw material that's required to build in those markets is different. The applications are different. So if I take the exact same thing that I was preaching in one place and try to preach it in another place where it doesn't have that same relevance, what's going to happen, right? They're not going to believe me or they'll buy it and it'll fail. And, and mm -hmm. again, it goes all back to that brand is a promise and you mm -hmm. have to live up to that promise. Um, so this is why you start at the, at the core and you run those slots. You do the three-legged stool approach. You, you look for those positioning you know, pieces within the Venn diagram and you build off of that. And so there is a, there is a scaffolding to this process that, that you work off of. You know? 
I'm interested in the go-to-market plan because it kind of ties back into the SWAT story. So what is a go-to-market plan and who needs it? Well, if we're going to talk about go-to-market plans, it essentially goes back to the definition of marketing that we started with. Um, think of um, you know the four Ps, the, the, uh, the product, the price, the place, and the promotion. And a plan is essentially those definitions put into paper with a strategy and, and sometimes the tactics for it. So um, it can be the budgets, it, it can be the timelines, it can be all, it, it defines the channels, it can define the messaging that you're going to go to market with. So when you're talking about building a go-to-market plan, you're essentially agreeing and aligning the internal stakeholders that are part of the process through that plan. You know, sales is going to do this, marketing is going to do that, finance is going to do this, purchasing is going to do that, CEO is going to give us the budget or CFO, whatever it might be. Um, and you are focusing the team. So um, if you're going to market without a plan, how do you know where everybody's headed? Mm -hmm. <laughs> are the salespeople just picking whoever they want to sell to? Any industries they just choose are appropriate? Yeah. How do you know where to advertise your dollars? Which trade shows to go to? Which magazines to, to, to market in? Which key terms to focus on? How much money to spend on one channel versus another channel? Mm -hmm. So the plan defines that and helps define that and align people. I just had a conversation with a company and you know there was a half a dozen people in the room and they couldn't agree on what was their audience and which audience was a priority. Which one should uh. they sell the most of first? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and I asked questions like, where do you have the most history? Where do you have case studies? What is a net new market for you versus an, an existing market that you can cross sell or upsell? Um, which market is likely to have a shorter sales cycle? The plan defines those things and says, okay, given this, we should go here first and spend this or expect this in terms of the ROI. Um, you know, it, it helps define and break down everything so that when you go to create the ad or the websites or the trade show booths or whatever those things that you're going to be implementing and along the customer journey, you are working in alignment with your organization and, and your team and your agency or your mm -hmm. freelancers or consultants or whoever you're doing. So that's essentially what a go-to-market plan is. It, it really is um, the unification of effort, if yeah. you will, uh, for a process that you plan on executing. And it takes away the siloed approach for just branding, just being marketing. It shows all levels of responsibility in this whole process, I think. Yeah, I've seen massive organizations have huge sales forces and big internal marketing teams, and the two don't even talk to each other. Or, or they're adversarial to each other. Mm -hmm. It's terror. It's awful, mm -hmm. you know. And 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 yet they're they're you know they they're expected to to each achieve their own goals, but they might be pulling in the opposite directions. Yeah. You know, I've I've seen salespeople in an organization literally stop selling because they hit their sales quotas. I've also seen them sell the cheapest, easiest product with the lowest margin. But the product they didn't sell sat on the shelf. And the longer it sat on the shelf, the lower the value it was. And when they eventually did sell it, they had to sell it at a 20 to 30% oh, loss man. of what they originally could have sold it for. So imagine the sales compensation structure is vastly misaligned with the marketing initiatives. The marketing was told, push the high product stuff, push the stuff with the most margin, push the thing before it ages out, whatever it might be, you know. Um, and the sales force is doing almost the exact opposite because their quota, their quota mm. was met. So they just shut down at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's like the strangest thing I've ever witnessed. Wow. I was like, what is going on here? There was no, there was no unification. There was no alignment. There was no plan in that organization. And so whatever it might be, it, it's important to get to build those endorsements, not consensus. You, you're not asking for consensus. You're asking for endorsement in this process. Oh, how do you so. get that? What's your, rec what's your advice for, for co better collaboration among sales and marketing? Well, I think understand, first off doing, if you work on a customer journey map, you will realize that it is not usually a binary process. It's not lead the horse to water and then serve up the drink. There's often a conversation or many touch points along the way. And you want marketing to support sales. And when they understand each other are working together for the same 
the same goal and they realize how each other benefit along that customer journey, helping each other, then it, then they generally get in line because they're like, oh, wait, you can, you can help me close the deal faster. Oh, you can help me defend my price point. Oh, you can bring me better qualified leads. You can bring me more leads. Okay. What happens if the guy makes the call and he doesn't bite or, or the lady has, you know, does the pitch and, and they don't, they don't, don't close, right? That's where marketing can come in. They can nurture the process. They can continue to add touch points. What if they bought, but they didn't buy that much? Does sales have a responsibility? Who owns that continuation of that loyalty and that life cycle? This is a complicated process. It's generally not one and done, mm. you know? It's a culture. Um, yeah, so you have to have the right culture. You Again, you have to have the right plan. You have to help people understand the journey and the roles they play and the acts and the actions they take. And when you do all that, you can open their eyes to the opportunities. And they get excited because people generally want to succeed. And if you give them a method and an approach and a philosophy and a process and whatever it might be, they they get on board. And if the ones that don't, they eventually leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they aren't good. They aren't as successful. Um, I, I've seen sales organizations, you know, cherry pick the best salespeople and they use them to train others, right? They're, they're, they want to coach them in that process to, so those others can, can be the, the, the rising tide can lift all boats. So they, they want them to come along. And so, and if you sit down and talk with really good salespeople, they'll understand and talk about the importance of branding and positioning and marketing. It makes their job easier and vice versa. Marketing's job is going to be made easier too. Um, I just had a conversation with a, a new client and they are very disconnected in that process. And when I told them we wanted to go in and look at the sales process and the sales methodology, they just kind of said, yeah, we do too. <laughs> You know? oh, they don't have <laughs> it one. Like, we, well, we're not allowed over the fence. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and it's just such a lost opportunity. It sure is. And they get it, but their hands are tied. And, and so I said, well, I kind of don't accept that. I'm going to do everything I can to get you over the fence. You know, <laughs> my, my job is going to be to help you. Have you ever done that where you've been asked to go in and kind of pitch the idea of marketing oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're often brought in to be quote the bad cop if you will <laughs> you, know, to, you know and well the thing is is that they've said it a couple of times but nobody listened to them okay but when quote the hired expert comes in and says it oh, and then they bring yeah. in all the data and they bring in the customer's perspectives and they bring in the competitive differentiation arguments you suddenly instead of one voice you have many voices now saying hey you need to listen to us, you know, and we hear a lot. It's unfortunate, but it's, as they say, it's very hard to be a prophet in your own land, you know? So uh, it's just something about human nature. If if, literally, if I call on somebody in in my town and I call on somebody in another town, I'm suddenly like five times the expert (laughs) in the other other town. because I'm new, I'm different. I, I, I must know something that they don't know already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, I think the lack of uh, respect is sometimes uh, attributed to just being there. Um, these people are brilliant. They've been saying what, what we walk in and reinforce them with, but because we said it, it suddenly carries more cachet mm-hmm. um, in the process. But it's, you know, but on top of that, we really do put the science behind it. We put the homework behind it. We put the customer perspectives behind it. We go back to that three-legged stool over and over again with clients to help drive this in the right direction. Um, we often use a technique where we talk about subbing the word like for what works. Yep. Uh, people often internally say, well, I like this or I don't like that, to which I respond, that's great. I don't really care what you like. I care what works. All right. You know, and I mean that in the nicest way. That sounds a little blunt, a little blunt right now. <laughs> but but in the reality is, is you can like pink, but if the customer doesn't want pink, the customer wants orange or blue, we can push pink out there all day long and it won't be successful you know, in that process. So we have to look at what's works and that goes back to managing and testing and constantly working Mm -hmm. to improve what works. So what worked last year may not work this year. Uh, We had a client that drove originally 2000% of their opportunities through LinkedIn, but over the last 12 years, we've worked with this client. 
over time, other channels have superseded that and that channel has diminished. And so as much as I love LinkedIn, it isn't working and I needed to shift as the market was shifting, the locations were shifting for where we could reach these people, their behaviors were shifting. And so it's, it's a really good philosophy to say, you can have an opinion and you can talk about what you like, but it's better to talk about what works in this mm. process. And um, how do you know what, how do you define works? What works? Go back to what's appropriate. Go okay. back to what's authentic. Go back to that Venn diagram. Go back to what the data tells you. Do your testing, you know. Um, you know, I think it was uh, Harry Beckwith in Selling Invisible. If I get this right again, you're going to have to check, <laughs> check me. But he said, I, I think he said that all experts are wrong 17.5% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just we just convince you that we know what we're talking about. Only, uh, yeah, reverse the math on that. So it only, you know, 17.5% of what I'm telling you today will be wrong. Oh, man. So, well, <laughs> there's no need for me to fact check then. I'll just let that one slide. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to, you know, don't, you know, you gotta, you gotta do like every good, every good person does and test it and, and prove it and repeat it and, and make sure that it's working and continues to work because what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. And it's true with anything. Yeah. And, and it requires a constant, tending and evergreen approach to this process. And that's the thing that we try to preach um, to these clients is it, it truly isn't set it and forget it, you know, right. because things can run their course that you can, the competitors can come in with something new, a bigger, better mousetrap, you know, uh, the climate. And by that, I mean the environment, the world, the perspectives, war breaks out, you know, price points change. Okay. This, this was an appropriate price point Tell once. Now it. it's not. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, raw supply chain disruptions. Okay. How, how do we get around this now? How do we reposition? I was selling chairs to offices now, but nobody's going to the office. How do I share chairs to consumers for their home office? Okay. Mm -hmm. What was working for the, the corporate office doesn't necessarily work for the home office. Right. Things changed. Mm -hmm. If I didn't pivot, I was in trouble in this process. Yeah. You have to innovate, innovate your yeah. business in order to survive. Yeah, some com and companies that did pivot during the last two years did better than those that didn't. I had clients that literally called and said, shut everything down for six months, call us back. We'll see if we're, we're closing the plant. Nobody's going to be doing this. Right. Like the whole hand sanitizer industry where alcohol companies were, you know, innovating and taking advantage of that, taking advantage of the market need. Yeah, I know. I know people that you know suddenly discovered new core competencies at different applications, and it's it's almost sad that it took something like a pandemic, or now maybe a war for some people, or supply chain disruptions, that it took that it's sad that these companies it took those catastrophic type of events for them to force them to evaluate their true strengths. Okay, if you manufacture something, you tend to associate your skill with that end product. And the skill may be in the doing, not the thing. You know, if you make something that's t incredibly small and can go into many things, and your skill needs to be looking at how you manufacture small things and can sell them to, you know, make them for other companies that also need small things, not necessarily the widget you make that is small mm -hmm. in that process. And so uh, companies that had fabrication techniques, I know trade show houses that suddenly started making, you know, acrylic, you know, face shields and, and, divider systems because they're used to working with acrylic uh, for environment displays, you know, building desks for news stations and trade show booths and whatnot. The skills they had had other applications or the product, the raw material they had had other applications in the marketplace. And companies many times overlook that because they're so busy focused on just perfecting the thing they have, yeah. not realizing that they have other strengths and opportunities within the organization. But if you think about it from that swap perspective, if you think about it from the end user perspective, and you think about it from the market opportunity perspective and differentiation, you can suddenly sometimes create new opportunities that you never, you never thought existed mm -hmm. in the process or find new revenue channels. Right. You know, uh, many, I was worked for a number of manufacturers and manufacturers would often give away the engineering to get the production, you know, to win the production process. Well, the engineering is highly valuable sometimes and companies will pay for it. It can be a whole separate revenue stream. 
you know, really helping companies think about, you know, how they're going to design the product before you make it. So something that may be a lost leader of value add can turn into being a revenue uh, stream or even a competitive differentiation. I'm with Jonathan Fisher of Brand Extract. Hey guys, check out Brand Extract's podcast called Solving for B. Stick around till after the break. You don't want to miss Jonathan explain the difference between soup and cake. This episode is sponsored by Salve Naturals, the leader in cruelty-free, plant-based, and natural topical medicines with ingredients sourced from American farmers. These natural products are freshly handmade in the USA, Houston, Texas, to be precise. Please visit salvenaturals.com or check out Salve and the healthy living departments at HEB stores across Texas. Are you looking for high-quality, professional-grade nutritional supplements that you can only get with the help of an integrative health practitioner? Well, believe it or not, I'm actually a degreed health science and integrative medicine practitioner, and I'm able to extend my 15% off practitioner discount to you on over 350 professional-grade brands. Plus, they gave you free shipping on $49 or more. Please visit wellevate.me slash dahlia hyphen colada. We're looking for inspiring expert guests and original musical artists. Think you have what it takes to be a part of the show? Please go to makingittomarket.com and apply. Making It to Market is a listener and sponsor supported show. Want to help us out to keep the show going? Find out how in the show notes. I've experienced uh, my customers giving me ideas for business. Customers, okay, we interview customers. We have interviewed thousands of customers and, and they are a wealth of opportunity. You will learn so much by talking to customers. Um, it's, it's just, I will tell a company this and I, I will go to my grave saying it. If you do not talk to your customers, you're giving up an opportunity. I guarantee you, you will learn something. I don't know how much, I don't care how much you think, you know, um, you will learn something. Um, and sometimes that, that thing you will learn is will change or rock and change your world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, in ways yeah. you never imagined. And so when we talk to customers, we understand their vocabulary. We understand their mindsets. We understand their decision processes, their likes and dislikes, their works and doesn't works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand their why buys, why not buys, what, what is the pain of switching versus not switching? What, what product do they understand or not understand? I'm doing interviews right now for a company asking them, do you even know what our brands are that we sell? Do you care about the brand or you just care about what it does? Hmm. You know, um, I'm asking them, what are their trends? What are they doing? What, what do they forecast for the next year? Because my client wants to know what inventory to buy more of. Um, I'm asking them how they're different in the marketplace. I've already been given several ideas of things that they don't offer from a service standpoint that they could do that could help differentiate them or they could even charge for. Um, we've understand we've got a, we've gotten a, a glimpse into some operational deficiencies that are eroding the brand uh, as it's being delivered. Um, again, it's not my job to fix operations, but it is my job to point out when something operationally doesn't support the promises I'm making mm-hmm. in that process. So, you know, I'm not an operations consultant. But I will tell you, this thing is causing a problem. Yes. <laughs> you know, if you tell me you're fast and your delivery drivers use paper tickets and you have to wait four hours for them oh. to return in order to, to tell the customer when they call up asking the status of the delivery where it's at, because you aren't using technology, I have a hard time promising you're fast when exactly. there's, you know, I can track my pizza being made mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're a, and you're a half a billion dollar company, not you you're still using paper tickets. Um, yeah, these are stories you know that come from a place of, of experience. So uh, I want to be you know I, I, I you want to be authentic to the process and you want to understand that SWAT and and be true to how you can deliver and, and on on the whole the whole experience. So I know at Brand Extract you guys have um, posted online a guide to brand strategy. I'm going to put that link in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want more information about how to get going. That's a great resource for you to look at. What's the biggest or most common mistake you come across with your clients? I think the 
biggest or most common mistake is assuming they know what they know. You know, I, I hear it a lot. We know our customer, our our product is perfect, or uh, we don't have any competition. You know, I, I think it's 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 not it's not wanting to take the time to do a proper assessment, to do a proper discovery, to do a proper competitive analysis. Um, they have done it before or did it internally, and they think it's good. Um, but they often didn't do it the way we did it or from the perspective we have. And so they'll unload material on me saying, here, you don't need to do this again. You can skip this step. I have it. But then I start looking into it and I start asking them questions. They're like, oh, we didn't ask that question or we didn't put it in this context or we led the witness, you know, by asking it this way um, or they didn't do enough of it or um, whatever it might be. It's dated. It's just really not it, I think no matter who they work with, whether it's us or some other agency, if you're going to bring an expert in, bring the expert in and, and let them run their process. Don't try to circumvent what they're doing. Amen. Because you're trying to <laughs> shave some corners. Yes. Yeah. You can ask them, is there a way to condense this time frame? Is there a, ask them, is there a way to make this more efficient? And there's usually a few tricks they can pull, but there becomes a point where you just, you're not, you, if you don't do these steps, you just don't have it. I, I liken it to the difference between a soup recipe and a cake recipe. And this is an analogy I'll use a lot with clients. I'll say, what is the difference between a soup recipe and a cake recipe? Any idea? No, oh, you're asking me? Um, yeah, I'll ask you. Ingredients? Well, basically, for the most part, if you don't have flour and eggs, you don't get cake. If you don't bake it exactly for this length of time and yeah. exactly this, pr- yeah. this temperature, you don't get cake. You get a briquette or you get goo. Yeah. Okay. So a cake, a cake recipe is generally a, a very formulaic process to baking something so that it comes out the right way. Mm-hmm. A soup recipe, mm, not so much, right? Just throw it all in there. You know, I can throw a little bit more salt. I can leave the salt out. I can cook it for 20 minutes. I can cook it for an hour on low. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's you know, I can add more carrots. I can put my spin on it with some onions, right? Like a soup recipe largely is kind of gooey and squishy by its nature. You know, now it may taste slightly different at the end, but you still pretty much have soup. Yeah. It might be a little warmer, might be a little spicier, might be a little colder. It's still soup. You know, it's not goo versus cake. (laughs) Cake sounds so good right now. (laughs) So, so, you know, be careful that you're not, making soup and that you're baking cake (laughs) in this process and and that's what a good plan is and i'm not i don't want anybody to think i'm not in love with making soup for her i love cakes better but to help executives visualize their state that they are in i will use this analogy look you're just stirring a lot of stuff in here Sometimes you do it this way. Sometimes you don't do it that way. Sometimes you add these ingredients or add this, you know, price point or whatever it might be. I said, you're really right now in the business of making soup. I think you should be in the business of making cake. And this is the steps and the things you should be doing for this length of time at these points in the process. You know, you don't, you don't put the eggs in in the right order. Problem. No no cake, you know. Um, You get soup. (laughs) You leave, 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 leave the flour out. You may not get cake at all, right? Yeah. You get like AE soup stuff, right? So I, I think for the most part, we, we preach this idea, this concept of like having a really solid recipe and, and with the right process and procedures and steps. And that's sales and marketing working together, right? It's all those ingredients working together in, in that process. So I think the mistake is often expecting they're going to make a cake out of soup, even though they're not willing to change anything. Oh, yeah. Or assuming they have all the ingredients mm-hmm. and they don't they really don't have all the ingredients in the right order or what they need. So if you're gonna bring somebody in and you hired them to do the thing you hired them to do, let them do it. And also let them do it with the right time frames and the right budgets. Because if you try to expect, like I always tell people, man, if I had a magic wand or a crystal ball, I would be way more successful. <laughs> I wish I could just come in and snap my fingers and go, here's your answer. There you go. You know, yeah, sometimes it's kind of obvious, but you still want to go through the process. And even we don't want to make assumptions. Just because I did it this way for the last three clients may not mean that you're in the exact same situation. I, w- I don't sell a necessarily a canned solution. 
I know cancellations work in a lot of situations for a lot of companies, but we're in the business of customization. I'm in the business of branding. I'm in the business of differentiation. So that means I'm not going to come in and do the same thing I did for you for 20 other companies exactly like you, because one, I'm, my job is to crush them. <laughs> you know, I got to come I got to invent over the last thing I did for the last client I worked with that was like you because I, my job, I'm no longer working for them. I can't mm -hmm. be strategic for two companies competing for the same audiences at the same time, you know? So um, they're going to hire somebody that's job is to crush you. My, you're hiring me. My job is to crush them, so to speak. And I, I don't want to sound very capitalistic in all this or, you know, cause there are win-win ratios and all that that's out there, but, but in an oversimplified storyline here, yeah, I, I'm being hired to be strategic and let, make sure you invest in the right time in the right process and with the right budget. Cause you can't expect miracles, but, Oh, we're going to spend a hundred bucks and it's going to take a million and you're going to expect the same results for a million bucks. I think people do expect that. They expect that. Yeah. Or if they have a little well, bit of dollars, they'll just put it in social media and hope it works. I think that people just don't have context. And so they do have expectations back. It's back to their realities as their perceptions. And our job as professionals is to ground them in the, in, in the reality of what is honest and what is authentic and what can, can be done with the resources they have, be it the time um, or the, the comp, you know, I've walked into brands that are hemorrhaging. They're losing employees, they're losing business, and they have certain expectations. I've walked into brands that are doing well, but their expectations are like 300% growth but they only want to invest in like 10% of their time and money and energy. I'm like, wow, that's like talking to your CPA, telling them you make, you know, 50,000 a year and expecting to retire on an Island that costs 5 million. I'm not sure it's possible. You know, mm -hmm. talk to your wealth advisor. They're going to tell you how much money you need to save over the course of this period of time to actually be able to afford for that purchase. Um, it just comes a point where the math doesn't add up. Is there a recommended percent budget? you should allocate to advertising. I I did my research. This was, I think in 2017 or 15, I can't remember. I was looking at uh, L'Oreal, the brand L'Oreal. And I, if I, if I did the math right, they're spending about 30% of their revenue on advertising. Is that a sweet number, a sweet spot? Or what, what do you recommend to people? Here's the thing. Uh, you have to look at your cost, right? Your cost of goods, your cost of going to market, your cost of acquisition and all of that. And you can't outspend what your RRI is going to be. So you, you have to start by understanding how a company makes money and how much money it makes in the first place. Um, and then you have to understand what are their goals and how much money they need to invest to reach those goals. Bigger goals take more money or more time necessarily in that process or, or some type of significant change. So, um, you know, I, I, I start by telling conversations to clients because I said, look, you know, what is your budget? I'll always ask, what is your budget? And a lot of times they don't want to tell you because they're afraid to put their cards on the table. But I, but I say, look, I can't design a plan. There's no point in me designing a plan for a million dollars when you only want to spend a hundred thousand or $10 million when you only want to spend a million dollars or a hundred million dollars when you only want to spend $10 million, right? Because you're over engineering at that point or vice versa. There's no point in me thinking you're going to spend a hundred you know, $100,000 when you're thinking you're going to spend $10 million and I engineer the plan and I don't come close to achieving the success you want. So you need to be honest in this process with those that you're working with. A good agency will demonstrate how they're going to invest your budget properly. You still don't have to hire them. They're not going to charge you more because you give them more. They're going to have to justify their investments no matter what they do. Um, they're trying to vet you as much as you're trying to vet them because they shouldn't take you on if they don't believe they can be successful with you. Mm. And so clients will tell me, it sounds like you're hiring, uh, you're hiring me. Yeah. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. I'm trying to find out if we're the right fit for you. I, I get, you know, several leads a week and they don't fit us. We're not what they're looking for. We're not who they need. We don't have experience in it necessarily, or they just need something and it's not the thing we want or sell the most, or they don't want to follow our process. And so I'll try to recommend that they go to the right person I think might help them, um, whether they're, they're fit for me, but I only really want to take those opportunities that I'm going to be most successful with because I want to protect my experience. I want to ensure the growth and my reputation. And I don't do that by taking everything. 
not everybody is the right customer. Right. True with any client. Any some customers are generally more profitable or or not. And it might be because they're more difficult and they require more hand holding or they require more returns and complaints, whatever it might be, you know, you want to attract the best customer, the purest customer to your brand. Those are the ones become your advocates, your loyalists. Go back to the very beginning of the conversation. They preach and sound you the most, right? And they don't trash talk you out there. Mm. Those are the best customers, you know, that you Mm -hmm. want to have. You want it to be a win-win for everybody. This is not about, you know, taking advantage of them, selling them stuff they don't need or lying to them. This is about being honest and authentic. And those, the brands that do that and that know who they are, those are the ones that do really, really well. The brands that are constantly trying to switch up who they are, they honestly don't know who they are. They haven't figured it out yet. They're trying yeah. to decide how they're relevant to the marketplace. Yeah. So, so budget. Your question is, you know, budget. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's it's proportional to your margins that you're willing to invest, according to the growth goals that you're going after. It could be half of a percent. It could be ten percent. Mm-hmm. You know, B two C companies, on average, in my opinion, I'm not. You know, I perceive that they spend a little bit higher budgets than most of my b2b clients are willing to spend but again do you have a low price point do you have a high price point do you right. have a short sales cycle do you have a high sales cycle are you highly differentiated or are you commoditized these variables are going to affect the proper investment strategies that you should make in that is it one and done is it a lifetime customer value that you're looking at you know you might sell somebody something that's ten dollars but you might sell it to them a thousand times over 10 years Mm-hmm. Or you might sell it to them once. Mm-hmm. The proper investment has to be considering those differences. You know. Wow. Now, how do you define success, Jonathan? I succeed when my client succeeds in this process, right? So whatever their goals are, whatever the reason they are, they hired me for. Uh, my success is determined by getting them as close as possible to that or exceeding that uh, that goal. If I don't, I probably didn't succeed. And that, you know, and I need to do it in a way that is enjoyable, fun, friendly, polite, professional, you know, because the ends doesn't necessarily justify the means. Right? You want to have a great working relationship. Um, you know, I might get them to their goals, but it might be a horrible experience. I would not define that by itself as success. So I think the definition of success has multiple components to it that you want to consider in this process. You know, did I work with somebody I, that I like, that I trust, and that delivers and fulfills their promises, back to branding? Um, and am I willing to do it again? Am I willing to advocate for them? Those are successes in my mind. Um, you know, that's what we're aiming for. Is it, is a, it's a lot easier to keep a customer, a lot more efficient, a lot less expensive than to go get new customers all the time. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, you know, don't want attrition, but I will have attrition because sometimes my goal is to get a client sold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes, you know, my goal is, is to get them to a point where they don't work with us anymore. You know, like I've literally been hired to help build internal teams before and train internal teams. It's hard by one client said so you had 18 months and I want you gone. Wow. You know, so you have to get us where we need to go in those 18 months and help hire people and train them so that you eventually don't have to do the thing that we're paying you to do. Wow. Uh, that was success, working myself out of a job. Um, <laughs> I, I, have, I have driven more leads than the campaign, uh, than the salespeople can service sometimes. And I have to shut down the campaigns and put it on pause um, oh, yeah. and stop working for a client. Um, that's, you know, too much, success. too much of a good thing, huh? Too much Literally. of a good thing is, a, is it can be a bad thing for some companies if they yeah. don't handle it the right way. Right. right. Um, you want to temper, you want to temper, you know, because if I jam a bunch of stuff in and not prepared to handle Kids that experience is not going to be necessarily positive. And then mm-hmm. I will have wasted or squandered those dollars of that Absolutely. activity. So making sure going back to that SWOT diagram, you know, that, that, that diagram and analysis, making sure that they are prepared for what you're doing. Is, 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 is the right thing, you know, in all this. So that's what a good plan does is it looks yeah. at the timing. It looks at the, the delivery. It looks at those touch points and it makes sure that everything is going to work accordingly, or at least to the hypothesis that you set out and then you adjust as needed for that. So, yeah, I think that's, I think those are keys. Some of the keys to success, you know, is 
am I enjoying it? Or are you enjoying it? Do we want to do this again together? And are we getting there? Um, that's going to determine success. It's not, did I win a bunch of awards or, mm-hmm. you know, oh. um, that's, that might be personally gratifying, but I don't think that's success in life. It's, you know, making others better in spite, you know, we, our mission is to inspire people to create, transform and grow. It's not to sell more stuff. <laughs> wow. That's, par- so, that's pretty powerful. So, you know, so, and so if I inspire you to create something, a new process, a better way of doing it, fire you, transform a system that makes it more efficient or makes it more profitable. Uh, and if I inspire you to grow into new markets or to grow a product line or to grow your perspective on something, then I feel like I'm doing my job if it's all positive and, and, and it's all going in the right direction. And then I feel like we're living up to our mission. On your personal journey, what are some lessons that have really stood out to you? Like if, if you could give yourself advice, what would you tell yourself? Um, well, I, I would say that you do need a good work-life balance. Uh, you do need, early on, I probably worked too much in my life. Uh, just was too driven, you know, uh, in some cases. And I think that you need um, humility is good. <laughs> you know, going back to all experts are wrong 17.5% of the time, I think our younger selves are probably just, I think in your twenties, you might think, you know, more than, you know, <laughs> anybody that's raised kids might see that, uh, you know, as my dad used to have an expression that he would say, you're a walking encyclopedia of misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> I think that's something you used to tell me when I was a teenager, you know? Um, so let me, let me tell you how that's right. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, it, you know, realizing that you're never going to do it alone, no matter what you're doing, it's probably going to be a team effort and it's important to develop those skills as much as the craft itself. Um, you can be an expert at amazing, but you can be a, jerk too so um mm-hmm. I, I have to soften my edges you know <laughs> and you're actively softening your edges i've spent huh? a lifetime working on it but i'm not uh, i'm probably <laughs> not that much softer at the end of the day <laughs> but uh, but i'd like to try i'd like to be that better person every day you know um be something that you know but i think it it, it does help and you know i think you can't have too many friends and, you know, um, you can't know too many people uh, in this business because mm-hmm. you never know when you're going to need something or need to direct somebody to get something or find something. And if you live by that philosophy, then I think you'll, you'll generally succeed. Um, and it's always the golden rule, right? Doing to others, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't do it if you wouldn't expect it back, you know, that kind of thing. So I try to try to, you know, put out, what I expect to receive and no more, no less necessarily in that regard. And I, I want people to be honest with me and, you know, otherwise I can't get better. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or where I, where I can improve. So I appreciate that, that mm-hmm. transparency. I appreciate the, the support and the teamwork. And so I need to be a good team player too. Um, so I think it's kind of the golden rule in, in many cases and trying to take a little bit of a pause and realize that, wait a second, you might be wrong. You need to double check this or go <laughs> ask and don't assume. Um, and, and be empathetic. Somebody is, could be having a bad day. I, I constantly, we should talk to our team about this a lot. You don't know what kind of day that person's having at home. You don't know if their kid's sick, if their mom's in the hospital, whatever it might be. Uh, if they're stressed out because their spouse just lost their, jo- lost their job and they're afraid of making their mortgage payment. You don't, you don't know. So just take, take a minute and before you react or before you assume and, and, and realize that you're not the center of the universe at, the, at this moment for them, probably. <laughs> and, yeah, and there yeah. are other, other things going on in their world. And, and, you know, I like to say we're not saving babies on the operating table. So mm, amen to that. <laughs> That's too much pressure for that, isn't it? You know, how how important is marketing, right? You know, our branding or or like, you know, okay, you know, picking this color, deciding this, you know, trade show decision today is, 
while it can have huge implications, remind yourself that that you're not the end all be all and that what you're doing, while it may have some big implications, you're, you may not be saving lives that moment <laughs> you know, in time. So much good stuff. And I really appreciate you coming out today and being a part of the show. And hopefully we'll have you back on again, right? Yeah, you know, they, <laughs> if you really want to put me through the ringer again, I'm fine. Yeah, I'll welcome back. <laughs> Your questions, I love them. So they're good questions. And they're, you know, they're questions people well, should ask themselves when they jump into you. this process. So there, honestly, thank there's you. a ton of insights and articles on our website. We do try to publish and, and share our knowledge and share our experiences through case studies and through other stories uh, on the website. So if anybody wants to go, I don't know how many dozens and dozens and dozens of articles that are there. They can read it or they can watch it or they can listen to it um, through the podcast, through the YouTube channels, through the inside articles. So um, it, it's all free. Go enjoy, um, share, knock yourself out <laughs> and fo follow yeah, us on social channels. Definitely. We constantly post stuff on the social channels as well, you know, through LinkedIn okay. and, and, and Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. So uh, mm -hmm. all those links are from our website as well. So okay. um, yeah, thank you very much for this. It's it's I it, it's been just so much fun. Uh, <laughs> well, that's because it's a fun I, subject, and you're a fun person, so like it just makes it easier. Yeah. So it's, I thank you for doing what you do, sharing your knowledge, and and bringing a, a channel to those out there that are interested. And so it's great. I appreciate it very very much. Thank you. It's been an honor. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe to Making It to Market wherever you listen to podcasts or listen from our website, makingittomarket.com. Thank you for your honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. And a special thanks to our listeners and show sponsors. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to do this. As you know, Making It to Market is a new show, and I need your help to get the word out. Feel free to share links to your favorite episodes. You don't want to miss the next one. If there's a topic you'd like to hear, have a comment, or even a question you'd like for me to address, feel free to leave me a voice message on our podcast phone line. If we air your question or comment in an upcoming episode, we'll send you a Making It to Market t-shirt or mug. Details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, make decisions that make a difference.